is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to the Bad Boys and Beyond podcast. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me is Keith Black Trudeau. Today, we are getting back into the redraft. We're getting back into our quantum leap machine. Was there a machine for that, or did he just kind of leap? Uh, I, yeah, I, I, don't, I think at the beginning, maybe there was a machine, but it, I know every episode, it was just like a flash of light, and then he's at another uh, destination. All right, like, well, there's... Yeah, it wasn't like there was a machine. It was just like a flash of light, and then he was off to the next episode. Well, there's been a flash of light, and we're on to the next episode. We are redrafting the 1985 NBA draft, and oh, is this quite a draft? This is this is a draft full of some controversy. This is a draft full of players. It is way deeper than I thought it was. I mean, we're going to be in the Joe Klein territory here before long. We're going to be... T- we're going to be talking about guys like Manute Bowl. I mean, everybody's coming up in this. This is a huge, huge draft. So I'm excited to talk about this one. Keith, have you been I, thinking I, about this all week? Yeah, yeah. I, I I always find these redrafts fascinating because there's always there, – there, there's so many, you know, little butterfly effects that you can have from, you know, changing one pick and then how could this possibly change the – the course of history for this franchise. I, I, I am interested to see uh, where all of this leads. Yes. As am I, but first uh, as we've been doing, let's talk a little bit about the last week of summer league and Oh, what an exciting week of basketball. It truly was for everyone who decided to sit through a game <laughs> full of you, you Mude or whatever. I can't remember the guy's yeah. name. Yes. Yeah, it's summer league. Summer league is typically brutal. Um, I, I mean, it's been that way since the beginning of uh, when they started having summer leagues, really in like the mid 1980s. Uh, it's just the, the difference is that everything is televised now. So people at home can see just how insufferable the last few games are. Because, the, you know, the, these teams don't want to play their high, uh, high value draft picks all five games they just want to throw them out there for a couple games get fans excited maybe sell some extra season ticket packages and then yank them off the floor you know because god forbid they get hurt um yeah we especially uh from the pistons perspective uh you had uh jaden ivy who looked like he was going to be the star of of the first few games of vegas and then you know that unfortunate accident where he stepped on somebody's foot which is ironic considering he doesn't get more than a few inches off the floor on his, on that flat footed jumper. Uh, but still, no, he managed to step on somebody's ankle and, and that was it. They pulled him and they should have, you know, but, uh, and then we got treated to, uh, you know, several, uh, several games of Jules Bernard yeah. and uh, Braxton key. And uh, uh I can't remember the, the center's name. Um, Balsha, Balsha, yeah. Balsha, yeah. All the all-stars were there. 
Yep, all the All Stars, and you know, the ironic team is the team that won Summer League uh, in Vegas was the team that they beat in the first game. Uh, the, the the one game they played at at quote unquote full strength was the uh, Blazers. Yeah, it's 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 a boring it's a boring thing, but I will say that Cleveland game it got it got interesting. It got fun. Um, it, they were getting blown out. I think they were down by like 24 points at one point in time. Like, and then, you know, they lost obviously, but yeah. they did fight back and, and they at least made it interesting. I didn't even watch the last game. And I, I mean, you know, these things are like, these things are good for naps, good nap yeah. material. You having a hard time sleeping, put on a, a summer league game. Any team will do. You'll, you'll pass right out. It, and the thing is, I was in Vegas last year. I, I had a front row seat for a lot of these games. And I, I consider myself extremely fortunate because last year, a lot of the most of the high draft picks played at least three games. And, you know, th- this year, it seemed like most of them either got hurt early or they got pulled off the floor. I, I, I this was somehow bad almost by uh, summer league standards. And I did watch the last game. I think it was against Orlando. Uh, Jules Bernard, uh, who had he couldn't throw ocean into the water, or excuse me, couldn't throw water into the ocean uh, for the first four games. And you know he was on fire that last game, and it get kind of got everyone excited. But the thing is, with summer league, you're not looking teams that have open roster spots that are looking at at summer league. They're looking for their 14th 15th man on the roster possibly a two-way spot uh and for that you you don't want to, a guy that's that needs the ball all the time the, uh, to be effective you don't want a guy that wants to shoot you know 20 shots a game because in an actual NBA game he's never going to have the opportunity to do that uh so I I want to caution people uh like la- last year uh Jamarco Pickett um he blew everybody away uh, at Vegas. I, I thought he earned a training camp invite and a two-way spot, which he actually he eventually got. Uh, there was no one like that this year. Uh, I, ironically, I think the, the two best shooters, the only, the only guys that shot well for the Pistons in Summer League were Isaiah Stewart and Jaden Ivey. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and all the other guys that they uh, brought in for that they maybe wanted to t- – take a deeper look at none of them shot the ball uh, very efficiently. Uh, some of them scored points, but again, that's volume scoring is not something you you're looking for at summer league. Uh, the, the only guy uh, that looked like an NBA player that lasted the entire five games was Braxton key. And it's not because he shot the ball extremely well, but he did the things that NBA teams are looking for, uh, for an end of the bench uh, emergency guy. Yeah, he played defense uh, he moved well off the ball. Uh, he he scored somewhat efficiently. He he did the things that you want your fifth guy on the floor to do. And uh, I mean, summer league is one of those things. That they always it always seems important at the time because we have nothing else to watch. And uh, in in a month, will everyone will have forgotten about it. it? It it's just one of those weird things. It it seems more important than it really is at the time, just because that's where everyone's focus is. I've pretty much already forgot about it. All right, let's get to the 1985 NBA draft. All right, but before we could tell the story about the NBA draft of this year, we have to fast forward, or excuse me, rewind back just a little bit, just a little bit to the NBA draft lottery 
where there was some things going down or so people think keith tell them about the frozen envelope all right so 1985 as everyone knows was the very first nba lottery uh you could you could call that uh, a backlash against the houston rockets who blatantly tanked the previous two years in order to get uh to that top two spot, which earned them a coin flip, uh, it, which they won both of those to get the number one picks in 83 and 84. And to to combat that, uh, David Stern, I, I think it was mostly his idea, uh, but he led a, a change to the draft format where in, instead of having a coin flip between the teams with the two worst records, they would take every team that missed the playoffs there weren't many back then. There were only seven. Uh, he would take every team that missed the playoffs, uh, stick each logo into an envelope, and essentially toss all seven envelopes into like this this lottery uh, bubble, and then turn it a few times, and then he would pull out each envelope, uh, starting from one through seven, and then after he was done pulling out all the envelopes, uh, he would then they would then unveil from seven to one uh, who got each pick. Now, what you're thinking is, I said envelopes, not ping pong balls. One team, one envelope for the entire lottery, which what that meant was that each team that was in the lottery had an equal chance of winning it. And for, for the first two years, the lottery was for every pick in the draft. So I, you had um, teams getting royally screwed uh, the, I think it was the uh, Warriors had the second, uh, they, they tied for the worst record in the league in 1985. They actually drew the seventh pick. It, it, I think that's the, the worst any team's ever dropped in the lottery ever. Cause they're, today everything's weighted. The rules forbid it. It's rough. And, uh, the Knicks, uh, believe it or not, were the best team not to make the playoffs. Actually, I think they were the second or third best team not to make the play, but still, uh, the, the, the Knicks, you know, in, in a lottery system currently, they would be weighed down. And what happened was, all right, so the, the, the all right, a little uh, backstory for everyone. The NBA was, their, their TV deal with CBS was on the verge of expiring. I think they were certainly in a better position to negotiate uh, in 1985 than they were in I think the late 1970s early 80s uh, when the league was teetering on disaster uh, but the one thing they didn't have uh, they didn't have a strong team in the biggest media market in the country which is New York uh, Bernard King had torn up his knee he was the superstar for the Knicks at the time uh, no I no idea uh, really if he was ever even ever going to play again uh, you would think a torn ACL today, you know, a guy misses a year, he comes back, he's not, he, if he's not 100%, he's pretty close to it. Uh, in the 80s, it was vastly different. A torn ACL was often a death sentence for a career. And it would, I'll, I'll put it this way, it gave the NBA a much stronger bargaining position if they had a major selling point <laughs> Uh, playing in New York. And in 1985, as hard as this might be to believe, Patrick Ewing was probably the most hyped prospect of the 1980s. 
Uh, everyone remembers the 84 draft with Jordan and Elijah Wan. Uh, but at the time, Patrick Ewing was seen, uh, was seen as the biggest prize, as a higher-rated prospect than either of those guys. Uh, he was being uh, compared to Kareem and Bill Russell. Uh, it, it, it was, I don't want to, I don't want to say he was uh, LeBron, but he was, I think he was certainly more uh, hyped than Shaq was. Like he, he was right up there as one of maybe the four or five most hyped uh, draft prospects of, of my lifetime anyway. And so now we go to the lottery and there's video of this. Uh, there are two uh, theories behind how the NBA supposedly rigged the lottery for the Knicks. I saw three, but I'll let you, I'll let you. Okay. I, I, I know, I know, I know of two predominant theories. Uh, the first one uh Real simple is the uh, the frozen envelope theory, where they they stuck uh, they stuck the Nick the envelope that had the Knicks logo in it in 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 a freezer for two hours, so that way David Stern knew by touch you know wh which envelope to pull out first. And then there's another uh, there's another theory where, and this one may have some merit. I don't know. But either way, it does look really bad on video, uh, where. If, if you watch the video of the lottery, uh, as David Stern is putting the, the envelopes into the uh, lottery mixer, uh, he, he bangs uh, the envelope with the Knicks logo in it uh, up against the mixer, and it bends the corner ju uh, just slightly. But it, it's just slightly enough to where it's noticeable. And... You might say, okay, that's hard evidence. Well, there's no evidence that David Stern knew which logo was in which envelope. It, it might have just been a fantastic coincidence. Uh, we'll never really know about that. Well, the third one that I'm, I'm seeing here is that... Um, so so the, 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 NFL, or the NBA draft used this accountant called uh, Ernst & Winnie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that firm is used by uh, Golf & Western... Who owns the Knicks? Uh, yeah. So there was some theories that you know the 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 accountants firm that that the NBA draft used you know was was in on it. Um, so I mean, yeah. I guess do you do you believe that the NBA conspired to make sure that the Knicks could have a, a superstar? No, but then again, I I'm a little bit more cynical on conspiracy theories than most uh yeah it, it does look really bad you know the broken envelope the, the fact that you know the the law firm that oversaw the lottery was had, had ownership of the knicks uh but again david stern was the one picking the envelopes you know it, it, everything was out in the open so it really boils down to did david stern know which logo was in which envelope and that's not something we'll ever get an answer to uh, no. but if he did then yeah you could certainly say it was fixed because he the one envelope that was bent uh he's he pulled that one out first uh, and he, he could have easily made, had made up because there were only seven envelopes in that in that bin so it wouldn't have been hard to find that envelope that was bent but we don't know if that's the one uh we we don't know if he knew that was the next envelope or not and I, I will say this: um, if if 
the NBA did uh, rig the lottery uh, for the Knicks. The Knicks have certainly paid for it over the last uh, several decades. Yeah. Uh, they, they've, they've been back in the lottery 18 times since 1985. Not once have they landed a top three pick. Right. Uh, so we, if the NBA is trying to really steer the, the, the public away from the, the Knicks conspiracy, which you see in every single lottery, every single lottery, people uh, predict from the heavens that the Knicks are going to magically land, you know, the number one pick and it never happens. And then the next lottery comes around and people forget that the Knicks have actually been screwed over by the lottery uh, far more often than they've benefited. Uh over the last uh, several decades, because all anyone remembers is the uh, the very first one, the Ewing lottery. Man, the disappointment. Uh, yeah, the, and the, the, and the yeah. thing is, real quick before we get into it, um, it, it is very arguable that Patrick Ewing uh, was a disappointment. And uh, in, in the and well, given the height, that, again, he was being compared to Kareem and Bill Russell, right? Okay. He, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, people were calling him, bar none, the best, the most dominant prospect of his generation. And I I could argue that Patrick Ewing is still today the best player ever to wear a New York Knicks jersey. You know, even above all those uh, Hall of Famers that they had, I think it's between he and Willis Reed, but really between he and all those Hall of Famers that won championships for them in the 70s. Like, Patrick Ewing was really, really, really good. Right. And I, I think it's almost like if LeBron James had simply been a 10 time all-star and not a 20 time all-star. And if he had won, you know, one MVP and not four, like it, it was this unrealistic standard, especially in the uh, New York mega market with all the, all the praise that was just heaped on him from the day he was drafted. Uh, so I, it, it's hard to say today because we, but we, we say a lot that LeBron James, you know, was was under immense pressure, you know, even as an 18-year-old rookie for all the hype that he received. And that maybe his biggest accomplishment was exceeding those, not 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 just meeting those expectations, but exceeding them. Pa- Patrick Ewing is one of those cases where, you know, he wasn't one of the five greatest players of all time, like maybe people predicted. No, he was only one of the 20 uh, to 30 greatest players of all time. And yeah, that, that's just a, such a crazy high standard, but, but that, that's really the, the, the razor sharp difference between, you know, a, a top 10 player and a top 30 player is, is really a few extra championships or MVPs or, or all NBA, all NBA first team appearances, you know, what have you. Well, he did. He did help him get to two finals. He didn't play in the second yep. one, but he did help him get to two finals. I was to say he he helped him get to one. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, he was at the end of his career, you know, and that second one. But um, that, what an interesting season that lockout year was. We'll oh, get yeah. to that. We'll get to that the, at some point. The dawn but, of the, the of the Ewing theory, which we will go over in another podcast. Yeah, yeah, at another time. All right, so the draft lottery is over. The, the frozen envelope with the bent corner has been selected. The New York Knicks are on the clock. Keith, I had the first pick last time. You have the first pick this time. Who are the New York Knicks taking? Okay. Um, okay, so, th- I mean, this, this again, and, and this is 
this will sound a little bit hypocritical of me because I just called Patrick Ewing a, a relative disappointment <laughs> compared to his draft type, but he is still the best player in this draft. And this is a draft with, you know, multiple hall of famers, but uh, of course the Knicks will still select uh, Patrick Ewing. I'm not going to disrespect him like that. Uh, one of the best centers of his generation was he as good as uh, Shaq or Hakeem or, I would even argue David Robinson was probably a little bit better. Uh, but again, he's still the best player in my estimation ever to wear a Knicks jersey. Uh, if, if you look at the teams he played on in New York, there was never a great deal of talent around him. You know, he, even those those late 90s teams might have been the most offensive talent uh, he had around him with Allen Houston and Latrell Sprewell. And I wouldn't even call them, you know, a an elite offensive team they were just they just had more athletes than everybody else at the time but I, I i will stay the course i will certainly take patrick ewing uh even though he never took the knicks to a championship he was certainly capable uh i i think maybe some better roster moves and he gets there yeah i i i have to agree with you i mean you know you look over this draft and it is deep and and there's some you know some other guys in here who are going to go to the hall and, and uh, there's some other guys here who, you know, help win, win some championships and all that, but Hewing, Hewing stands tall over all of them. Um, so I mean, you, you got to go that route. Uh, so the Indiana Pacers are now on the clock and I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to sprint right to the podium. I've known who I was going to pick since the draft lottery happened. I am going to select Carl Malone, uh, just kind of looking over this Pacers roster, uh, they are this interesting team. I mean, they did wind up taking Wayman Tisdale this year, who is yeah, who, who was you know a, a decent journeyman, I guess you could call him. Um, he was uh, a guy who, yeah, very very hyped. As clear as the number one pick Ewing was, Wayman Tisdale was the clear number two at the time. Uh, <laughs> dominant college player at, at Oklahoma, but you're right, yeah. In the NBA, he just didn't have the, the I would say the athleticism to be anything more than a, a really good role player. But he was he was still effective. He wasn't. I don't think you can call him a bust by any means. The Pacers are like this weird team in the '80s. They're they don't have Reggie Miller yet. They're you know they're at the like they've got Quinn Buckner, but he's not really like Quinn Buckner anymore. Um, and he's just kind of like you know this team is just. I'm, I'm just looking at it now and it's just uh, uh, just a, a large group of, of, you know, who's this guy and who is that guy? And, Oh, I remember that guy. Uh, I think you bring in Carl Malone and he jumpstarts this Pacers rebuild. He gets this team going. He's a, he's a great scorer uh, almost immediately in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I mean, he comes right out of the gate for Utah and uh and gets it going so you know and yeah i'm looking right now you know he's he gets he gets 15 points a game in his rookie year i i think he gets even more than that i think he challenges patrick ewing for the rookie of the year if he's on this indiana pacers team where he's gonna have to do the majority of the scoring so carl malone to the pacers i would i wouldn't make one note of this uh he does play the same position as the your your best player uh People forget Clark Kellogg was a bucket. Uh, people know him from his, his broadcasting days now uh, for CBS, but back in the 1980s, he was a bucket. 
uh, he was a good good for 18 to 20 points a night at the power forward position. And the only reason that people don't remember his NBA career is because once, it, just like Bernard King, he blew out his knee uh, second or third year of his career after the year after this, actually, I believe. And then that was it. Yeah. yeah, he retired. But if, if you look at, he was a highly productive player. So I, I do wonder, uh, unless you're going to move Kellogg, uh, how that, because again, you have a really bad uh, Indiana Pacers team and they had, there are only two, uh, or two of their three good players uh, play the same position. Well, I'm All wondering, right. can, can you move Kellogg to small forward? And, and uh, you know, I, in the 80s, maybe you could get away with it. He, he, he had enough skill. Uh, but yeah, I, I would think it would almost be more like you would have to move, you know, one of those guys to center, but even at center, you had Herb Williams, who was probably your other best player other than those two. Right. So it does create a log jam up front, which again, for the rebuilding team, you don't care about the log jam. You just want talent. Uh, so the LA Clippers, the endless, uh, endlessly futile LA Clippers, uh, so much talent on the board right now for me. Uh, I am going to, oof, I, I, I'm telling you right now, you, you know which two players I'm thinking about. Because uh, yes, there's, two, yeah, there's two obviously good players. Uh, there, there's a very clear uh, next two after Ewing and Malone on the board. And given that the Clippers have no direction that I can tell, uh, I am going to uh, go against the grain and select Joe Dumars out of McNeese State. And Joe Dumars, this is one of my favorite what-ifs, because uh, people remember Joe Dumars as being almost Isaiah Thomas's sidekick, even though he is a Hall of Famer, uh, but being that other guard next to Isaiah Thomas for so many years. And I have always uh, been of the mind that Joe Dumars could have put up James Harden-type numbers. Uh, if he was, because he was a point guard, he was a scoring point guard. That's that's where he, what he did in college. That's what they projected him to be in the NBA. Uh, a big uh, scoring point guard, six foot three, maybe not tall enough to be the conventional two, but way bigger than than most point guards at the time. And if you look at some of his prime years, I would, uh, I would recommend looking up the uh, the. The final game in Cleveland in 1989, uh, or the final game they played in Cleveland in 1989 uh, in, in the regular season when the Pistons and Cavs were fighting for the best record in the NBA. The Pistons were in a position to lock up uh, the top overall seed in the playoffs. And I want to say Joe Dumars, he, Isaiah Thomas played, but he had to come off the bench because he was he was hurt. So, they, so Joe Dumars ran the point. And Joe Dumars had something like 42 points and 11 assists. In, in that game, uh, he just toyed with Mark Price the entire time. He was getting his shot whenever he wanted. Like, young Joe Dumars, I don't think people realize just how offensively gifted he was uh, because he sacrificed his numbers to to play for a championship team. I, I think on a bad team or even a mediocre team, uh, he, he, he could have been one of those James Harden-type guys who put up ridiculous – you know, 25 to 28 points and another eight or nine assists per game. Like he, he was that good. Teams were trying for years to try to pry him away from the Pistons, even after they drafted him, because it was clear how much talent he had. And it was clear that any bigger role, he could produce so much more. So 
if I'm the Clippers and I figure I'm not going anywhere anyway, I want to see the Joe Dumars experiment. I want to see him. Uh, I'm sorry, Joe, I'm banishing you to the Clippers, but I, I, I want to see exactly what he does on a team where he's going to get the ball all the time as a number one option. All right. Joe Dumars playing for the Clippers. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, I, I think it, I think it would have worked out. Does Lloyd Vaught still wind up a Clipper? Pretty sure he probably does. Given Lloyd Vaught's <laughs> terrible luck in his NBA career, he, he probably does. Uh, all right. God bless Lloyd Vaught. Yeah, I love Lloyd Vaught. Michigan guy. Yep. Uh, all right. Moving on to the Seattle Supersonics with the fifth, excuse me, the fourth pick in the draft. All right. We're sitting in the war room. We're wondering what we're going to do. Chris Mullen is sitting right there, and he mm-hmm. seems he seems like the obvious pick here. Am I right? He uh, does. He does. But we don't do obvious things in the redraft. We go a little crazy. We do, we do crazy things. It's a fantasy world. I can make whatever I want happen because this isn't real. And I'm looking at my Sonics team, and I'm looking at Jack Sigma. And I'm thinking, you know, Jack, thank you for the championship. Really appreciate it. You're 30 years old. I'm going to move you to Milwaukee next year. You know, you and I both know mm-hmm. this, this, this whole thing is over. Yeah. We're, we're, we're done with each other, Jack. So I need my center of the future. And just like I did last time when I picked Oscar Schmidt, I'm going to change the league. I'm looking at this young 22-year-old kid. Young 22-year-old kid from Spain. Lithuania, or I can't remember where he's Lithuania. From. Lithuania, that's right. And I'm thinking, you know, that kid, he's probably going to have a son that plays for the Kings someday. But until that day, I'm going to draft him over here, and he's going to change the way centers play the game. His name is Arvidas Sabonis. Coming to the Sonics, we're got a we got a 22 year old Arvidas Sabonis at this point. Now, you know, the the he does get selected. I think he gets picked by the Blazers, right? And uh, he, de- but he doesn't come yep. over for like 10 years, 10 years. Yep. Yeah. So, but, but in, but in our world, he comes right over at 22. They, they got the money for him. They, you know, they do all the things that they need to do to get that uh, Lithuanian contract out of here. He comes over here and he's jacking up three pointers as a, as a center in the eighties, he's changing the game and, and, and uh, you know, the Sonics, they make a run in the West. I think they win a championship. Not in 85, but maybe like 88 or 89. Your rebuttal? All right. So, all right. So, here's the thing with Sabonis. Uh, he, he is uh, from Lithuania. That's where he played, but he didn't play for Lithuania because Lithuania was not an independent country in the 80s. It was the part of the, they were, they were still under the, the thumb of the Soviet Union, which is why that he couldn't come over until uh, the early 90s. And the thing is, he, he would have come over after the collapse of the Soviet Union, but his knees were, he by that time, he had suffered severe knee injuries. Uh, so it was really doubtful. Like, until the until the Blazers finally said, screw it, let's bring him over, you know, in 1995, uh, there, it was really doubtful if he was even going to play in the NBA. Like, like, people were thinking that his time had passed. Now... If you could see my draft notes right now, because I wasn't sure 
which side we'd be I'd be drafting on uh, today. On next to the Sonics, it still says picks a bonus. We would we we absolutely had the exact same idea, but for different reasons. Oh See? wow! Look at that. <laughs> so all right, so the the reasoning for me is because I don't think that simply picking him in the top uh, five of this draft, uh, I don't think that really changes uh, his availability because he's still locked away behind the iron curtain. Uh, however. If, if you look at the future for all of these teams, uh, if, if you look at the, uh, the teams in the mid-90s, wh which team do you think had a chance to win a championship in the mid-90s but was maybe one center away? The Seattle uh, Supersonics. The Seattle Supersonics would be really – it would probably be the Sonics 1 and the Utah Jazz 2. I mean, that it would be that – but it would definitely be the Sonics would be my – my ideal situation for Arvita Sabonis to come over in 1995. And I mean, can you imagine because that 95, 96 Onyx team won 64 games and they gave uh, the bulls a bit of a scare in the finals, but now imagine that they had, instead of uh, Irvin Johnson, they had uh, Arvita Sabonis. I mean, just, the, the, I don't think it's too far fetched to say that, I don't, I'm not going to say they would have beaten the Bulls if they had Sabonis, but I think it would have been maybe 55-45 in Chicago's favor as opposed to, I think, 60-40, which it, it, it probably was at the time. But, yeah, no, we, we, we both actually would have drafted Sabonis here, for, uh, number four for Seattle, just for different reasons. Look at that. Great minds think alike. Pistons, if you need some couple scouts, we are available. Yeah. All right, so – yeah, I'm not going to take too much of uh, everybody's time here at number five. Uh, my, the Atlanta Hawks are not very good uh, in 84-85. They were one of the worst teams in the league, but they did have Dominique Wilkins, who was a budding superstar. Uh, Dominique was a small forward. Uh, the best player on the board clearly is a small forward. I don't care. I'm going to – I will play Chris Mullen at the two if I have to. So, uh, I, the Atlanta Hawks select Chris Mullen out of St. John's, and – Simply by selecting him, he is already the best player that Dominique Wilkins ever played with in the NBA. Oh, man. Uh, he, he is a sharpshooting, one of, one of the elite uh, sharpshooters of his time. Could play a little off-ball defense, on-ball defense, uh, not so much. Member of the original Dream Team. 20-plus uh, uh, point-of-game score in his prime. And just the, the thought... You know, the Hawks, you put put Dominique and Chris Mullen in the same uh, wing duo, and they're probably not stopping anybody, but I don't know how anyone stops them either. How, how much fun would that team have been very to have nice, Dominique Wilkins, you know, and his ability to draw double and triple teams as soon as he uh, puts the ball on the floor. And then you have Chris Mullen, uh, you know, the silent death waiting outside the three-point line, and you got to pick your poison. I, I love that duo, even though it really on paper doesn't make a – a ton of sense no we're just jamming stuff in there man i just you know i just we just rescued our Vita sabonis from behind the the wall man i mean we so we're doing whatever we want it's it's fantasy time here uh speaking of fantasy the kings got a fantasy and uh their fantasy is about to come true because they're also gonna get themselves a a, a nice foreign player uh a, a germany uh, a cat from Germany, 
named Detlef Shrimp. Um, he's going to come over to the Kings, and uh, people are going to have a hard time uh, saying his name for a while. I know I did as a kid, but what the Kings are going to get here is just incredible. They're a three-time All-Star, a former All-NBA third team, a two-time two six-man of the year. Uh, Detlef was a he was a problem. Uh, he, he was definitely a, a, a like a he was one of the, those those big guys, those early big guys in the early days that could shoot. Uh, he could get behind the three-point line. He could do a lot of things. The Kings, I'm looking at their roster right now. There's not a lot going on here. Eddie Johnson, uh, you know, uh, they got uh, uh, Otis Thorpe, my man Otis Thorpe, but, uh, you know, not not a whole lot going on here. I, I think Detlef Shrimp really changes the way this team plays, and uh, I think he's, he's an all-star early. Yeah, I... <laughs> Detlef, I think, took a little while to get accustomed to the NBA. Not too much because he was never really supposed to be a big man. Uh, he was always a perimeter player, like a, a big man with perimeter skills. Uh, but look, the Kings are really in the same boat as the Clippers where they have no direction. Uh, so you're really drafting on talent at this point. And I, I certainly think Shremf, um, he was there's really one in 1A one uh, on my board uh, from where you were picking. But he was one of them. And shoot, I, I, I think the, I, I think the Sacramento Kings probably, you know, Shrimp is probably the, the best player for them because he's very offensively gifted. He'll put on a show, not many six, 10 guys that can handle the ball in the perimeter like he could or shoot threes. Uh, so now we move on to the seventh pick. Uh, as I said, it, it, it's, at six, there were two clear, uh, at least uh, on my board, there were two clear best players. Uh, you took one. I will take the other. Uh, Terry Porter, uh, one of the most underrated guards uh, of his era. Definitely. Uh, you know, for, former All-Star, uh, quarterback, the, uh, the Blazers to two NBA finals uh, alongside Clyde Drexler. Now, the, the Warriors really... It, it is a disappointment to have the redraft because, you know, Chris Mullen doesn't drop to them. Uh, but really in, in, in Terry Porter, they're not getting a bad player at all. They're getting a future all-star. He, he will compete with Sleepy Floyd for the uh, starting position. And Sleepy Floyd's one of the few good players that they currently have. I don't necessarily care, though, uh, because I know better things are on their way for Golden State later on, not this decade maybe, but later on in the early 90s when they acquire Mitch Richmond and uh, Tim Hardaway. And shoot, maybe Don Nelson finds a way to make that work. I mean, how interesting would that be, a backcourt of Tim Hardaway and, and Terry Porter? And Terry Porter could play some defense. So I'm thinking maybe he could uh, play the two a little bit and hit, think of all the chaos that Don Nelson would, could cause you know, with those two guys in the backcourt, both able to shoot the ball from outside, both guys able to get in the lane, both guys could play a little bit of defense. Uh, so I, I'm actually liking uh, this pick more that I, more that I uh, talk about it. So Terry Porter at number seven to the Warriors. I like it. I like it. I know Nelly would love it. Old yeah. Don Nelson. Nelly Mad scientist it. himself. Yep. Uh, all right. So the uh, Dallas Mavericks are now on the board. <clears throat> now I've got some decisions to make. 
I'm looking at my roster right now. I'm I'm the Dallas Mavericks GM. I'm in I'm in the war room. I'm looking at it. I got Mark Aguirre. You know, I, I've got uh, <clears throat> Sam Perkins, who I got last year. I've got Derek Harper. I got Rolando Blackman. I've got a nice little squad here, but I, you know, I could really use some defense. I need somebody who's going to get in here and who's going to bump some people around. Somebody's going to go up and get some rebounds. I need, I need a, I need an enforcer is what I need on this Mavericks team. So I'm going to look to Charles Oakley, my man, Charles Oakley coming to the Dallas Mavericks. I don't know, man. Is there another bad boys team all of a sudden? Is there, an, is there a bad boys of the West? Yeah. If Charles Oakley comes on over to Dallas and plays with Mark Aguirre, imagine that team. Imagine just that defense and that that toughness that those guys had. And, you know, not just not just Aguirre, but like Blackman and and uh, and Derek Harper. I mean, these are like, these are uh, uh, tough players. So I, I, I really like the, the mix there. And I'm, I'm really looking at this Dallas team and I, I, I think I've completely uh, changed my mind. I mean, maybe they go a little bit farther than the Western conference finals with Charles Oakley on the staff. What do you think? Yeah, really, as, as you were listing those players that, and, and I said this during the 84 uh, lottery is that the, the Mavericks at this point really have a lot of good perimeter players. They had no big man, you know, whatsoever, no interior presence, no rebounding, no, no shot blocking. Uh, Oakley never could be confused with a shot blocker, but definitely an enforcer. One of the best rebounders of his era. Uh, I, I think he makes the Mavericks. He might make the Mavericks uh, a little bit better even than they were uh, in the late eighties when they went to the conference finals and took the Lakers to seven. Uh, but that does put me in a bind uh, because I was, I was hoping that you would pick uh, somebody else uh, at eight and then I could dropped and I could take Oakley at nine, which is actually where he was picked anyway. All right. So for the ninth pick, and this is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I, I would like to announce a trade. Oh, uh, yep. The, uh, this is, again, this is something that happened at the time. Uh, the, the Cavs are picking ninth. The bulls are picking 11th and the bulls and Cavs swap picks and in exchange, the Bulls send uh, the Cavs uh, Enos Watley. And the only thing that at least I remember Enos Watley for, he was a decent uh, backup guard for a long time in the NBA. Uh, but the, the, the thing that I remember Enos Watley the most uh, is because he was Chicago's own, uh, I don't want to say Sam Bowie, but he was their own, you know, why, why did we pick this guy when this other guy was available? Uh, in, in the 1983 uh, NBA draft, the the Bulls, with with Clyde Drexler on the board, picked Enos Watley, uh, and the Blazers had the pick right after them and took Drexler. In because pe- people don't uh, remember that uh, the, after, the year before that the Blazers uh, passed on Jordan uh, for Sam Bowie. The year before that, the Bulls passed on Clyde Drexler for Enos Watley. So, yeah, so. I, I'm even in hindsight, I'm not sure uh, what sense this made for the for the Cavs, but that's what happened. So at nine, even though this is the Cavs, I am picking for the Bulls. And really, there's one clear name. I, I think there were some decent fits, but when you have 
Michael Jordan already on your roster. Uh, what you want is some toughness. Uh, you want maybe another guy that can score the ball to take some some of the burden off of him. Uh, and with Charles Oakley off the board, uh, who was actually who who actually got picked at this spot, I'm going to take the X Man himself, Xavier McDaniel. Oh, kind of hoping he'd yep. be there. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the thing is, I know the Bulls are going to go after Scottie Pippen uh, in a couple of years. And they, McDaniel and Pippen, they're both ideally small forwards. Uh, but I, I'm thinking McDaniel can play a little bit of the four uh, himself. I, I don't think that's going to necessarily dissuade Chicago from going after Pippen in a couple of years. And, you know, McDaniel, what can you say? Uh, one of the few... Uh, enforcer loves to fight tough guys of his generation that, that actually had a lot of offensive talent. It, he, the guy was a scoring machine, uh, 20 plus points uh, per game a lot during the, uh, during the eighties. And I, I think if you pair him, especially with his attitude next to Michael Jordan, I think they would get along uh, extremely well. So ju just like the previous uh, pick that I had with Porter to the Warriors, I'm actually talking myself into this more and more. Uh, as opposed to just being the best player in the board. I think this is actually a good fit for the Bulls. Uh, Xavier McDaniel. All right. Well, my life just got a little bit harder because here I <laughs> am. Uh, I'm the uh, I'm the Phoenix Suns. I'm, I was really kind of hoping for uh, Xavier McDaniel to fall because I, I'm going to have to rely on uh, what Charles Pittman or Larry Nance or uh, who I'm going to wind up trading anyways uh all right so let's see what do we got on this team looking at this Suns team we got jay humphreys who we just took last year at point guard do i feel super comfortable with that i don't know you know maybe this team needs a, a, a better direction we don't have kj yet <clears throat> we got rod foster uh, on the on the roster but he's not gonna pan out to what i want i can already see that and, and I, I i need a point guard <laughs> So let me look. Let me look at what I got. I'm going to make some phone calls. I'm going to talk to my people. Oh, who's this Michael Adams kid? <sighs> yeah, Michael Adams. I just swooped in and stole him from you, didn't I, Keith? <laughs> Michael Adams. I did. Michael Adams is coming to the Phoenix Suns. Michael was, uh, you know, he, he man, what an interesting player because – this is a guy that wound up averaging 26 points a game for the Nuggets mm -hmm. in 91, made an all-star team in 92. Uh, he was like quietly one of these really good players in the NBA that nobody, I don't think anyone really remembers, uh, but he was really good there for a while in Denver and, and uh, in Washington. Um, man, Sacramento is, is the team that uh, originally took him. They gave up on him way too fast. But uh, yeah, Michael Adams is going to come here and he's going to be the Suns point guard of the future. Yeah, you know who Michael Adams reminds me of the most? Um, Isaiah Thomas. And I say that it's not Detroit Pistons Isaiah Thomas. It is the Boston Celtics Isaiah Thomas, uh, who averaged, you know, 30 a game in his prime. It was an MVP candidate. Uh, Michael Adams, similar type build, uh, five foot ten, you know, hundred and you know nothing, uh, tiny guy, which is why he fell so far in the draft. Uh, 
wonderful offensive talent. Uh, absolutely just, you know, he, he was one of the first guards that would actively look to shoot three pointers. Uh, he was super quick. It was hard to stay in front of him. And I, I think if you put him in today's game with all the freedom of movement stuff, you, you'll see the same benefit that uh, the Celtics Isaiah Thomas got uh, to where it, he, he would just have room to fire all the time. And especially in today's uh, the modern game where you're encouraged to shoot three pointers, it, it would Michael Adams was drafted, was, was born about 30 years too early. Yeah. He, he really was just an explosive guard. Um, so now I, at 11, we have the, yep. Yep. 11, the bulls are picking, but again, I mentioned this before they're picking for the Cleveland Cavaliers as part of a pick swap and the Cavaliers are just, we, we know they're bottoming out at this point. Uh, they're in the process of getting a new GM, new coach, uh, much, much brighter things are ahead of them. Uh, especially starting next year in the draft, which they have one of the most successful drafts any team has ever had. And right now what I want to do is get them some talent, but not too much talent to where maybe they accidentally make the playoffs. Uh, I am going to get, mm, again, this is a tough one. I am going to take uh, AC Green. Oh, I like it. I like yep. it a lot. AC Green, uh, one of the most dependable players in NBA history, holds the record for most consecutive games played, which I don't think anyone will ever break, uh, especially in today's day and age with load management. Uh, AC Green couldn't spell load management. He was he was on the court every single game or every single night uh, that he had a game year after year after year. Just he never missed a game. Uh, not a all-star type talent, but a uh, very dependable starting quality power forward. And that's something that the new coach, um, the incoming coach, Lenny Wilkins is going to love. I, I don't think that he's going to affect them acquiring Mark Price or Brad Doherty in the future. I, I think he fits right in there or even, even Larry Nance. Uh, again, this is, this is a pick made with a future in mind. I don't know if he changes the Cavs playoff fortunes any, he, he very good player, not really a I don't know if I would call him an impact player, but he is one of those role players that makes you better for having him. So I'm going to go with the most prudent selection, I think, on my board, uh AC Green. It's a great selection. I mean, I love it. You know, good defensive yeah. player would make all defensive team, uh 89, second team, but but that's still pretty good. He he makes an all-star team in 1990. That's kind of a forgotten thing. But longevity, yeah. like plays till 2001, helps uh, the Lakers win three championships, including that 2000 championship. I say help, but, you know. <laughs> but, you yeah, know. He, I, he, he started his career playing with Magic and Kareem, ended it playing with Shaq and Kobe. Yeah. Don't forget that. Yeah. I, I was doing really heavy quotations on that help. <laughs> uh, all right. So I am going to be the Washington Bullets, and I am looking around. I need a center and I need a center like really bad. Yep. Uh, I, I'm going to take Manute Bowl later on in the draft, big seven, seven guy. Um, but, you know, he's, he, he's an attraction. He's there for to sell tickets and, and block some shots and maybe score 
uh, an occasional three-pointer and get the crowd on their feet. But I need a guy who's going to come out here and play. I need some rebounds. I need some some block shots. I need I I, I need somebody who can maybe put the ball in, in in the hole as well. So I'm thinking. <clears throat> I'm thinking. Thinking. Let me think. I'm looking at the board here. Don't know quite what I want to do quite yet. I know I want a center. I I'm I'm. Oh, well, who's this? What's he doing here? It's John Hot Rod Williams. John Hot Rod Williams is going to play, come play center for me. And he's going to change the game. I mean, he's going to change the bullets. This is a Bullets team that's going to make the playoffs. They're going to give the Pistons some hell in 88. Maybe with John Hot Rod Williams, maybe the Pistons get a little bit more hell. Maybe Moses and, and Jeff Malone. Uh, and and John Hunt, Ron Williams all together, maybe they get it done. What do you think? I I, I love your optimism. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, John certainly could play the five. I, I think in the ADC he's more of a small ball five. Uh, his, his primarily he was more efficient, I think, at the four uh, because he wasn't that that great a defender. But look, if you're the Bullets, I mean, you've already you you had a top ten pick a year ago, and you you traded it for for Gus Williams in a win now move. Um, they're not winning now. Uh, no. They they're they, and we, they, like you said, they, we know they're going to go and get you know Moses Malone probably in a year. That's not going to work out either. Uh, I I respect the Bullets for going against the grain and just not admitting uh, when it's over. Uh, they they will. I mean, they have Jeff Malone, who's a nice young, nice young player. They're they're going to make the playoffs. You know, still as like a bottom seed and get bounced in the first round multiple times by the Pistons. Uh, it, it, look, it, it's not a bad pick. Uh, I I honestly don't know, considering where the Bullets are, because again, they're not rebuilding. They're they're trying to win now, but they're trying to win now with guys that are maybe a little bit too old or uh, simply not good enough. Uh, and, you know, John Williams is probably going to make them a little bit better. Uh, how much better, I'm not sure. Uh, so now we go to Utah, and Utah at 13 is, man, they, they have just been screwed over by this uh, this redraft because in the actual 85 draft, uh, uh, a guy by the name of Carl Malone, who was the, the second player, player drafted in our draft uh he falls all the way to 13 and forms you know, one of the greatest one-two punches in nba history with john stockton yeah uh i do not have carl malone on my board uh he's been crossed off so i have to now find a replacement because the jazz still need you know they still need a scoring power forward that's it, it's not like they had somebody else i mean they have adrian dantley uh but adrian dantley is not happy in utah and I know coach Frank Layton isn't quite fond of him. He's probably going to get shipped out regardless. So I am looking for a, a scoring big man to lead me into the future. And in an odd switch, uh, we had in the original draft, um, Wayman Tisdale goes two to Indiana. Carl Malone goes 13 to Utah. In our draft, Carl Malone goes two to Indiana. Wayman Tisdale goes 13 to the Utah Jazz. And if, okay. if, if we, if we are in 1985 right now, you know, there's an investigation because Wayman Tisdale, as I said before, one of the 
one of the higher uh, hyped uh, power forwards uh, of the 80s, as far as the draft goes. How hard did uh, he tank those interviews to get all the way down to 13? Yeah, oh, wonderful talent, uh, even better human being, um, known for being a very, very joyful. Uh, the, the, the fact that he didn't live up to the hype, even though he had a very productive NBA career, uh, never really seemed about never really seemed to bother him. Uh, he he bounced around between Indiana and Sacramento on some very bad teams for both franchises. Uh, finished his career actually as a, a pretty efficient, um, I think, seventh man for the Phoenix Suns during the the end of the Charles Barkley run. Uh, but you know, in, in his prime, he was still capable of giving you you know twenty to twenty two points a game on on a really bad team on a good team. Maybe he doesn't get to get to those numbers, but who knows? You pair him with John Stockton. I, I'm I'm willing to believe uh, in Wayman Tisdale. He, not Carl Malone good, but I think that's certainly not a bad consolation prize in this draft. I like it. Uh, I, you know, it works. It works for me. All right. The San Antonio Spurs are up on the clock. They got the 14th pick, end of the lottery. What are they going to do? Looking around this draft, looking at this team, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's rough. It's a rough yeah. team. Yep. You, you've, you've got an old, uh, I should say an aging um, George Gervin. Aging uh, artist Gilmore. Prime. Yep. And your, your one saving grace is you have a wonderful uh Wonderful two guard and Mike Mitchell, uh, one of the underrated talents. I I think at least one of the underrated scores of the early 1980s. Uh, but he is one drug problem away from being out of the league in a year. But yeah, yeah, that's great. But I also have Alvin Robertson, uh, which is yep. nice too. Uh, so, oh, I'm just looking at the board. I feel like I'm going to make a mistake here, but oh man. I want to do it, but I'm starting to, I'm I'm looking at a guy here, but I'm wondering if I'm going to, I wonder if I should talk myself out of it. Just, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. All right. I'm going to do it. So with the 14th pick in the 1985 NBA draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Dominique's younger brother, Gerald Wilkins. Okay. Um, It's, he's obviously doesn't live up to what, to what uh, his brother is, but like, he was a pretty good player. I mean, uh, you know, he was a guy who could get you 12 to 15 buckets a game. I mean, uh, it is the second year in the league with the Knicks. He had 19 points a game. I mean, he was a decent player. Uh, Defensively, not that great. Um, There was a lot of things I think, you know, I don't know. He just never quite lived up to, I think what, people thought he might be he did get picked a lot later than than uh he got picked at the bottom of the second round in the actual draft but yeah i'm gonna go with gerald wilkins uh i don't know yeah the spurs, the spurs are in a very bad uh way at, as of 1985 uh but the thing is that is going to benefit them significantly in a couple of years so you you, you don't want to like, look, even if Patrick Ewing is available at, at 14, 
I don't even know that you pick pet because you you don't want to take yourselves out of the 1987 uh, draft lottery where you get David Robinson. So I, I don't know if there's any player in this draft that is worth taking your out taking yourself out of the David Robinson sweepstakes. Gerald Wilkins, um, obviously not Dominique, but he wasn't a bad player by any means. He was you yeah. know starting quality, yeah, starting good starting quality wing, uh, added some athleticism. And if you look to see, assuming that the Spurs still get the number one pick in a couple of years, and they build their team around David Robinson and Sean Elliott, I think Gerald Wilkins kind of fits right in there. I think Larry Brown would would probably like him, good defender. Uh, so actually, I'm not sure if I would have taken anyone else uh, on this board, to be honest with you. Uh, I, maybe you take a swing on Manute Bowl, but do you really need that if you have David Robinson? Because, look, none of these picks are going to – are, are going to take the Spurs anywhere. Like the Spurs are going to yeah. be bad anyway, right? right? So yeah. really what you're looking for is a guy that's going to be useful in three or four years when when, when the Spurs are really ready to make a push. And that, that's certainly, Gerald Wilkins certainly qualifies because he was good well into the mid-90s. All right, Keith, now Andrew and I have, we have a choice to make. We have a decision to make. We could end the draft here, end our redraft, and, uh, you know, we do it like we we did the first one, first 14 picks. All right, let's move on to the next podcast episode. Or we could do four more picks and get to the Pistons pick. Uh, I mean, we, we could do that. Or, or we could just move on to the Pistons pick. Yeah. Like say, like, 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 say the Pistons, you know, they had the 18th picks in this draft. Say they moved up to 15. You know, who, who would you want? Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah. All right. Because uh, I, I actually do have a player on here that I absolutely love uh, for the Pistons. I do too. Um, okay. So you uh, go first. Okay. I think that Mario Ellie would have been. A oh my really God. We have the same guy. Boy. Like he fits in perfectly with the yep, bad boys. He does. Like, uh, I mean, he had the attitude. He had everything. Remember blowing the kiss and all that stuff. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. dude. One of the fit. original three and D role players. Yes, would have fit in perfectly. And and you know what? He could be clutch every now and again. You'll you'll you know everybody will always remember that shot that he had in the finals. Like Mario Eli would have been perfect for this this bad boys team. I'm so happy that we both had the yep. same guy. That is that is that is great. Um, do you know where where Mario Eli was actually taken in the 1985 NBA draft? Uh, I think I was really low. Let me look here. I'm looking at the draft. He was a the very last pick. The very last pick. Yeah, he was a seventh round draft pick. Seventh round, one hundred and sixty. He was Mister Irrelevant in a seven round draft. And this man has championship rings. Yep. Obviously, you know the NBA didn't think very highly of him. He spent first several several years of his career in Europe. Uh, but man, uh, to, once he joined the NBA, uh, his value as, as a role player off the bench was pretty clear. Uh, won a ring, won two rings with Houston, added another ring, uh, during the Spurs first championship season. Uh, man, if, if he played for the Pistons and look, I don't know if he, if the Pistons draft him, if he, you know, he probably does come over obviously because if you're drafting a guy in the first round you're not doing that to stash him overseas we're not at that point yet right so i, I could definitely see mario Ellie 
fitting perfectly uh, in with the bad boys as, 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 as an extra, you know, three and D uh, piece for Chuck Daly to play with uh, off the bench, man, he would have fit in so well. I, I know. and I love the fact that, yeah, a guy that was a seventh round draft pick. So he, his career had such clear value uh, in hindsight. Yeah. That, that is awesome. Um, I, I do want to mention one guy that we, that we never got to uh, spud web uh fourth round draft pick of the pistons uh that year but you know for obvious reasons crowded backcourt guys only five foot seven uh didn't last past training camp you know he was he was waived uh and then the hawks picked him up and you know he was great almost immediately great is an overstatement but he was really good almost immediately won the slam dunk contest in his his rookie season um but it's just one of those uh, interesting tidbits from the back when we had way more than two rounds. There were still good quality guys dropping to the, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh uh, uh, rounds. That look, maybe these guys would have made it in uh, into the league anyway as undrafted free agents. But it, it's kind of cool to see, you know, where they actually fell back in the back in the days where literally everybody got picked. Like like how would where would Ben Wallace have fallen? Uh, and this is a teaser. Where, where where do you think Ben Wallace would have been picked uh, if the 1996 NBA draft had seven rounds? I mean, he oh, would have been picked yeah. somewhere, right? Yeah, uh, probably the third or fourth round, maybe even. Yeah, I mean, probably, but yeah, that's the thing. We don't. I I think it would have been interesting to see. He he obviously didn't need. Uh, seven rounds to make an NBA career for himself. I mean, if you can play, you usually get noticed anyway, but I do wonder where he would have gotten picked uh, if they had kept the seven round format in 19, in 1996. Oh man. Speaking of the 96, that draft is going to be incredibly fun and it's a ways away. Oh, I know, but, but we are definitely, I'm telling you, we're probably going to do the entire draft. I we're going to, going to do all 30 picks. We're going to skip past the, like we got to, I mean, that thing is so incredibly deep, but speaking of deep, you know, there's some guys left on the board here. Sam Mitchell, a uh, good player for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Weddington, Joe Klein, Manu Bull, uh, Benoit Benjamin or Benoit Benjamin. I don't really remember. Uh, he, Benoit. Benoit. Yeah. Benoit went pretty early in this draft and he was all right. You know, he wasn't horrible. He was, he was one of the, those yeah those seven foot space eaters that he he was he was okay he he was pretty good on the glass didn't have a lot a whole ton of offensive skill but he, he carved out a pretty good career for himself but basically if you were seven foot tall and you could rebound you had a career in the nba for at least 10 years uh back in the 80s and 90s because the, the those guys were incredibly important maybe not for what they could do as individuals but for the fact that there was a Hakeem Olajuwon or David Robinson or Shaquille O'Neal, you know, waiting around the corner on every schedule. And you needed, if, if you couldn't get one of those guys, you needed at least one of those, a guy that was the same size as one of those guys. So you just didn't get murdered in the paint. Oh, what a, what a draft though. This was fun. Um, yeah. I love doing these things. Like I look forward to the 1986 draft, which will be oh, our God. next our next yeah. one that's gonna we, we be might stop fun. it we might stop at five yeah that's uh we'll, we'll figure it out we'll, we'll get there we'll make it to 14 one way or another yeah um, <laughs> hold on i gotta look at that real quick we'll just preview it we'll just do a very small very short preview 
we might wind up talking about guys like, oh, I don't know, Walter Berry. And we'll see yeah. where we go with that. But, uh, you know, then there, this is the Len Bias draft. There's going to be a lot of stuff to discuss there. So, uh, but on our next episode of Bad Boys and Beyond is a big one. We, we teased it a little bit last week when we mentioned the bells. Uh, well, the bells are going to get told on next week's episode because we are doing the big man from Virginia Union University. Ben. <laughs> ben Wallace is going to be our next uh, podcast episode. So much talk about there. A guy that goes undrafted, uh, you know, kind of tolls through the league of Washington and Orlando, and then just becomes this unbelievable star in Detroit. And I cannot wait to get into that discussion. Yeah, there, there, there are still people today that openly wonder how Ben Wallace is in the Hall of Fame when he was such a poor offensive player. And I, I am going to address that next week, but I am, I, I'm going to say this. He was arguably the most efficient defensive player of all time. Yeah, I mean that that you know I I I don't want to get too far into it right now either because I'm going to wind up. But I, I'll just simply say, look, offense is is super important in the NBA, yeah. but defense is probably just as important. And you know it it can't it can't just be all the scorers, guys. Can't just be all the scorers. So all right. That's all I got to say. Uh, Keith, where can people find you on Twitter? All right. My Twitter account uh, is charlottean28, C-H-A-R-L-O-T-T-E-A-N-2-8. Uh, I run a NBA history uh, account. I, I post videos uh, usually just about every day, but during the off season, uh, a few days a week. And it, it's... During, during the season, I do Pistons-related stuff. Uh, in the offseason, I like to do all, all sorts of NBA stuff. I This this week, I did you know videos of uh, John Starks and Reggie Miller. Uh, I, I, I threw in some uh, 1990s uh, Cavs, Pacers highlights. Uh, it, it, it's just NBA history has been my passion. Uh, this account is my outlet for that. So uh, anytime... Uh, you have a question or comment or anything i'm i'm usually pretty good at responding yeah you guys got to check it out again i I say it all the time but just seeing all those videos it's a it's a rush of of that uh those memories that come right back to you you mentioned you put a video up another glenn rice video up the other day yeah and you commented on the the charlotte hornets floor yeah i mean one of the greatest floors yeah it used to be yeah i loved that I love the, uh, the the honeycomb thing, and they kind of do it now, but only on the entire court. It's a little disorienting when you watch it on, on TV now. But Yeah, the, the Hornets did it this year as a, as a throwback court. Oh, did they? Oh, I must have missed that. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at POD underscore Peyton, and then you can find us at Bad Boys Beyond. That's Bad Boys Beyond. And uh, and we are on all the streaming platforms now. So we're we're on Audible, we're on uh, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You could find us on Spotify, Anchor FM, everywhere. Uh, you could get into somebody else's car, and I'm sure we're playing in there. So uh, <laughs> just uh, if if you're if whatever uh, 
podcast streaming app you're using, please go on there, subscribe, rate, review. It helps the show. It helps us get uh, ads and and uh, it helps us get uh, uh, this show, you know, keeps us going and everything. And 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 constructive criticism is, is always nice too. So if you've got some some stuff to say, don't be too mean to us because we're sensitive now. But, you know, uh, give us some information. Tell, tell us what you want. Maybe even tell us the type of players. If you go on our Twitter, say, hey, when are you guys going to cover this guy? When are you going to cover that guy? When's the, when's the Ennis Watley episode? And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it gives us uh, the information of, you know, who you guys want to hear about. So thank you for listening. And we will see you next week with Ben Wallace.